0: a sinner I knew I needed forgiveness I knew that the God of the Bible that I was holding was speaking to me saying the answers to your question is yeah you can't remain stubborn any longer That the thoughts from 22 years started to flood I couldn't tell you that if I asked me if I did I understand all of it I don't know but I knew this heavy heavy weight of sin and that I knew I needed forgiveness. And at that moment, I believed that the God of the Bible is saying, come to me through your son, Jesus Christ, and I'll give you forgiveness. Contriments. And I wept for 20 minutes without saying a word. And my wife, Judy, will give testament to the fact that there was a puddle of tears on the floor where I was sitting on that set. And after 20 minutes, I looked up. Barely audible, hardly able to speak. The first words I said to her was, Today I am becoming a Christian.
1: History, an encouraging look at how God works in people's lives. Well, I am so pleased tonight to be joined all the way from South Africa by Marlon Govender. So Marlon, my first question is usually, what was your home life like? And what part, if any, did Christianity play? Uh,
0: To be very honest, nothing. I grew up in a very, very Hindu home, Hindu background. Knew nothing of Christianity as a youngster.
1: Nothing, zero, to be very honest. So you were born in Durban in South Africa, and it would be quite a poor start to life. So perhaps you could paint a picture of what the home life was like, who was there? What was the family situation?
0: Yeah, sure. It was quite uh, dire times for our country, South Africa. When I was born in 1971, it was in the midst and the height of apartheid. There was great racial segregation going on. And uh, my parents had been uh, moved because of the group areas act. So they had to t- the homes were taken away and we were put in the township. And obviously... <coughs> I was born in that environment. Uh, My mum, dad, my paternal uh, grandmother and an older brother and sister, we lived in a very small house, which was one room, which was about under 40 metres squared. Uh, Six of us lived there. It was poor, difficult times, and and the social uh, situation wasn't good, so it was not a surprise that my dad became an alcoholic when I was a young child, before I could even turn to be one year old and his life sadly just deteriorated in alcoholism. He was a lovely, understanding, caring man but the minute alcohol touched his mouth uh, it transformed him into something else and you know he never held a steady job which then meant my mum had to find work to feed us and support the family. So with the exception of my grand. There was no real adult supervision. Circumstances went very good in the country, politically, socially. And I grew up in that environment. And sadly, it also had a very, very negative effect on me. Also, the pressure of a home that was broken, destroyed by alcoholism, lack of adult supervision. Grew up as a teenager. At the age of 13 years, I drank My first drink of alcohol, smoked my first cigarette of tobacco, joined uh, hooligans, bad people in the street. Parents didn't really know where I was, what I was doing. My mom was struggling to make life, uh, meet life needs. Mm -hmm. Dad was drunk and in a stupor most of the time. And yeah, so I really lost my way seriously from 13 to 17 years old, four to five years just continued to drink uh, alcohol more and more, scone from school, speak vulgarities, uh, started to experiment with other drugs and no, no concept of God, even my, our Hinduism that I, as a child, uh, observed my granny do these Hindu rituals and prayers and had some sense of what they used to do, but I had no, no link to God in those years. It was just a very downward spiral, slippery slope that I just slid down. And yeah, it's a sad but very true and real picture of my life, what I was, where I grew
1: up and what I had done. You mentioned that your dad was an alcoholic and that meant your mum had to go out to work to provide for the family. And so your real caregiver was your grandmother. And she was quite devout in a Hinduism, and you would practice Hindu rites and practices with her. What would they look like? Because for many of my listeners, they wouldn't know much about Hinduism. What were the practices? What was the, what was the significance of them?
0: Yeah, it, it was really revolved around rituals. Um, we had a place, a shrine that was set aside for prayer. It would require fasting, observance of fast abstinence from meat. It would require certain ritual cleansing. It would require the offering of fruit, vegetable to the deities that we were praying for. It would require, in some occasions, animal sacrifice. It was all output-based. Uh, it, it was periodic. There were times when we do this, and then once that act or ritual was done, then that disengaged us and I just observed all of these things. It didn't mean much. There was no scripture such. In our Hindu home, there was nothing that we could read. There was nothing that we were taught. We just were told to do whatever they did. And we we had very basic uh, understanding or knowledge. But everything was ritual-based. And, and I used to observe uh, my granny doing these things. We were often copycats in what we did with very little understanding. Mm -hmm. That's not the case of every Hindu home religion. I must make that clear. Some do know and some do understand. It wasn't so much in my case, but traditionally, many people inherit the ritual and have not a deep understanding of why or what it means, which is a general uh, problem, generally, that I was aware of.
1: You would continue in your teenage years to... To have that wayward slide, you mentioned alcohol was a big part of your life. Uh, obviously, you weren't deterred, haven't seen the effect on your father, but it would also go on to horror drugs and, and rising problems until until about 1987. You had an event that really shook you. Yeah, wow, wow
0: that, that was an amazing time. You know, through all the negativity and all the bad habits and all the delinquency, there was one particular, there were two particular things that I did which were considered good habits that I maintained through all of those times. I loved reading. I used to soak up novels upon novels. I had a permanent spot in the local library. Uh, and the other thing I did was jogging. Uh, if you look at me now, you wouldn't say so, but I used to <laughs> love jogging. Almost every day of my life, three or five kilometers. And it was in September of 1987. uh, I was uh, almost 17 years old. I was jogging on a road to the side of a road. There was no sidewalk or pavement. I was running, jogging, facing oncoming traffic. It was late in the evening, just getting twilight darker. There was a paper mill in the direction from where I had come, and I was running away from it but a big, really big 22-wheeler truck that had delivered tons of logs for paper mill and was coming back. It was like almost in the center of the road. It was a big one. And there was a car that was behind him that wanted to overtake this truck. So he went on the oncoming lane and went quite a distance on the oncoming lane, almost to the end of the road to avoid the truck as he overtook it, didn't see me. I was traveling about about 80 kilometers an hour and slammed into a puny, thin 17-year-old that was under 46 kilograms and very thin and just bones. And it was a terrible impact. Um, By all logical standards, I should have perished, should have died in that accident. Mm -hmm. Great impact. And I remember lying on the ground uh, in a pool of blood and... Just going into a days, almost blacking out and seeing a whole array of faces that had surrounded me, hearing voices, hearing the sound of ambulance. Uh, and I blacked out and got up in the ambulance and blacked out and got up in the hospital. But the amazing thing then, the absolutely amazing thing was, although i got hurt, plenty of injuries, and I still kind of have side effects of that today. And I spent several days in the hospital, but not one single bone in my body broke Wow. and I came out of that with bruises and scrapes and cuts and stitches and this injured back but I'd survived it and uh, after the hospital stay and I came out it took me a while to recover and get on my feet and I should just sit in my yard outside into the wee hours of the morning uh, just looking at the stars and just thinking and, and knowing, knowing that uh, I had led a very disastrous life, I mm-hmm. committed things that I knew were wrong. And I was starting to ponder these questions about what if I had died. That, ax- that accident was literally an electric shock to my whole life, my system. It shook me up. And I kept on, I could not shake off the question, what if I had died? and uh, where would i have gone was there afterlife and if there was would i go to god and who was this god and would this god accept me because i was such a sinner and these questions just burned into my heart and soul and i came to a few conclusions i remember it was about two in the morning one of those nights or mornings obviously and looking at the stars and asking these questions for days, I've been laboring over them to in my own without discussing this with anyone. And I came to a few very essential decisions in my thought process, in my mind. One, I decided and believed that there was definitely a God because looking at the stars, it made me think of creation and everything around me. I said, This didn't come by chance. There has to be a God. And I realized that God would not be pleased with what I had done. And so I decided to change my outlook in life. That I was going to give up this bad habit of smoking and drinking and the bad company. And I was going to become a good person. Hmm. I was going to live a life that would please God. And I would try and live such a way that I would make up for the bad person that I had been by doing good things. And, and from a social point of view and from a behavioural point of view, that was a turning point, a defining point in my life, because after that I did give up those bad habits and I did give up the bad company. And there was a fundamental change in my behaviour after that.
1: You decided that you would look into Hinduism for answers. You adopted the attitude of born a Hindu, die a Hindu. So you were quite committed to the Hinduism side of things. Does Hinduism provide any hope, or does it give you any answers for the questions you ask it at the time? Yeah, that one of the
0: other fundamental things that happened while I was looking at the stars and decided there was a God and I was going to be good, I realized that I wanted to find forgiveness for the sinful life I had led. You know, with living in a home that was dysfunctional, a dad that was alcoholic, uh, me going down the slippery slope. Uh, things that had happened, I'd always felt very unloved and unaccepted in society. I developed quite an inferiority complex. I struggled as a teenager. And so I wanted several things. I wanted to find God, know God, find forgiveness, but also find acceptance, find love. Mm. And... uh, wanted to make right and be a better person and I decided that night I would find the answers to my questions in my Hindu faith. I said born a Hindu, I would die Hindu, I adopted Hinduism and the change was radical and it was immediate. I remember even as soon as I got back on my feet I went to my gran and said to her, tell me these things that we've done and I mentioned a few of the rituals why do we do it and Mm -hmm. I started to question and she gave me some explanations but they were very uh, entertaining stories almost and I I think I knew enough to sense no this can't be right there must be more to it she's been told a few things but it doesn't explain much so I then went and found you know we lived in a community it was predominantly, well, it was fully Indian and there was a mixture of all types of Indians, uh, South African Indians, whether Muslim or different uh, language backgrounds, uh, there were some Christian Indians, but there were temples, Hindu temples scattered all over. I went to a few and went to the, the Brahmins or the holy men that were in charge of those temples and I started to engage with them, ask them and they gave me a lot more detail, a lot more explanation Uh, But I still felt, no something's missing. I didn't feel right. So I started to read some of the Hindu scriptures that were available. It was the Bhagavad Gita, uh, edited uh, shorter portions of Ramayana. uh, The Vedas, there were a few uh, abridged versions. I started to try and make sense of what Hinduism was, what it meant. I picked up a lot of uh, information that many of my peers... Even superiors in our community wouldn't have a clue. started to understand a lot more. Uh, one of the things I did pick up there was that I had to do penance. It means I did bad things now. I needed to pay for it. And it was not just in good deeds or charity or giving to others, but there was some bodily penance. Um, I used to partake in a, what you may consider a very gruesome ritual. And in hindsight, I consider it equally gruesome now, but in that point I used to uh, partake in a Hindu uh, ritual called Kabadi mm. and I used to be in a state of trance. Now, I can uh, categorically state this in hindsight as a born-again Christian that I was possessed by a demon spirit, and many of my Hindu family may be offended by that, but I've said it many times, I used to have needles pierced on my forehead, uh, hooks, like fishing hooks, pierced on my body with fruit and flowers, over a hundred, and walking on shoes, wooden shoes that had uh, maybe a hundred nails, sharp nails put through them, and this was penance. This was, I, I knew I wasn't myself, there was a different spirit in me, but i I was desperate, and I felt I was connecting with God by doing these things. I was pleasing Him. I did that for about many years, and uh, all through the years, it kept me away from immoral life. It kept me engaged, but the problem was it was internal. The peace I was looking for, the forgiveness I was looking for, the acceptance I was looking for, particularly the relationship with God. I used to have a huge uh, s- a stone shrine in my yard um, and it, it was a almost a two-meter statue of an uh, animal god, uh, a monkey god called Anuman. Okay. And I used to bow down and pray to pour milk and water and fruits. And I remember going on my knees and closing my eyes and crying and talking to and praying to this God, wanting to hear him speak back to me. And excuse the pun, but it was always a stone-cold silence. <laughs> walk away from there, really deflated. And that kept on all through the 12 years of devout Hinduism. I couldn't find, there was a void. There was a space that was not being met by all the outward signs and the searching of God. That took me to a new journey. Uh, I then got involved with what's known worldwide as the Are Krishna philosophy or ISKCON, the International Society of Krishna Consciousness. It's known worldwide, probably quite popular in the UK as well. And I started to really get attracted to what they were saying because they'd gone off on the front of Hinduism and said, this is not about Hinduism or religion, this is about a relationship. And they were saying, you know what, it's not what you do, these things that can earn you forgiveness in a relationship with God. You've got to transcend that. And I learned about reincarnation. And Hindus believe you have a soul that's eternal. They actually believe it is God uh, that it, uh, sends a microscopic part of himself which becomes a soul. And that soul longs to go back to God. And that soul undergoes the karmic law that, you know, you of reincarnation, if you sin, you're born again, and you could be born up to millions of times, reborn, and the better person you are, the closer you get to God, and that's, that's a, just a fundamental belief of Hinduism, of karma and reincarnation. But, Iskon was saying, you can beat that millions of birth, uh, you go through a point of a relationship with God, and that, to me, made a lot more sense, so, that influenced me greatly. I became a devotee, became a total vegetarian, read their books, some very really dynamic, powerful books from their leader, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Prabhupada, and, uh, and those things became a big part of my life. It took me away a lot from the ritualistic beliefs of Hinduism to a more thought-centered relationship with the Hindu God. gods. At that point, it was God. Now, that change was a significant change in the part that I was doing, and I think it took me to a different level. After a few years of that, I still felt the same level of emptiness, the same level of seeking a relationship that was real with God, seeking forgiveness. But even this was outward. It was more about what I could do, and I didn't feel fulfilled even then. And then I took another tangent in my life, and my faith, and the seeking for the truth after God. I decided that I would seek, uh, I got involved with the Divine Life Society, which is also an international Hindu movement, uh, the the famous guru there, Sivananda. This, This was a different philosophy. All gods are one God, Krishna, Buddha, Jesus, Allah, all the roads lead to the same thing. So it doesn't matter what you believe, just... But it was very Hindu-based. Um, at that time in my life, I was very, very involved in the, In this, I had recruited a group of youth, and we became a very active Hindu youth group uh, that provided uh, bhajan services, singing and prayers, and really, I was I was teaching others, even senior to me, uh, counselling, and I was very involved, and. That kind of developed to something else, where I came to a point where all gods are one God. And I even started to read the Muslim Qur'an, uh, not, didn't get very far, but read parts of it. But the, 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 the trajectory of my life had changed from a completely ritualistic view of Hinduism to a more inner. But to, through all of this, I felt something was wrong, something was missing. Uh, and one of the things that in searching for God uh, came to this point now in my journey for, uh, of a universal God, almost, uh, I always said it was universal, but in hindsight, even now as I say this, I haven't said this before, uh, I think I wasn't true to myself because I was happy to read the Quran, I was happy to do Hinduism, but when it came to Christianity, oh, I didn't like Christians. I, I can say quite confidently, my wife would back me up on this, I hated Christians. My only recollection and understanding at that time of Christians were the Hindus were converted to Christianity. And the only change I could see in their dressing, the ladies became much more loose and and liberal in their dressing. And their diets as Hindus, we didn't eat beef and pork. And that was the first change I saw in these people. (laughs) But the rest of their lives didn't say much that had changed. They did the kind of bad things we did at school and the community they, they they their God was the only God, their way was the only way and we were all stupids. No, I didn't disap So in this time of universal God I was quite angry with Christianity, I was quite intolerant. I remember we were married at that time, we just had our second child, our daughter she was about just going to, and I tell my wife, we used at at that point I had no clue who were Jehovah Witnesses, who were uh, Evangelical, and those things. See, I didn't even know, you know different denominations, mm. and Orthodox Church or Protestant. Zero understanding any of this. There were a lot of Jehovah Witness people used to come door to door, knocking to give you something, and I would warn my wife, "Don't let those Christians in our house." <laughs> I'd be so angry if you do. And I was at that point in my life a Christian hater, a devout Hindu, a practicing Hindu, uh, looking towards a universal church, seeking for God. And to answer, this is a very long answer to your <coughs> question, there were some outward benefits of being a Hindu. It kept me a very moral uh, up society, in society up uh, upstanding citizen. Mm-hmm. But internally, I felt just as empty 12 years down the line as I was when I started the journey after I'd met that accident. I really felt so dissatisfied. I, I felt a cheat because i you know be a good person and do all these good things and behave well for the time of prayer and then afterwards just be the normal person doing everything else everyone does. I, I really struggled with... Um, the void and emptiness in my heart so I was never fulfilled though I read and did and knew way above the average Hindu uh, in all those 12 years from uh, 1987 right up to the year 2000
1: because you've said that when you read the Bible initially it was the Old Testament and you didn't find it particularly easy but you found some you found the Psalms very interesting What was it about the Psalms that appealed? Well,
0: let's let's just correct that. During the time of my so-called universal belief in God, Mm. and I read the Hindu scriptures, tried to read the Quran, and I picked up the Bible, it was the Proverbs, not the Psalms. Sorry, Uh, Proverbs. Psalms and Proverbs, but the Proverbs really intrigued me because I could relate to many of those moral issues and, uh, you know, I could understand some of that. But I never got further than that. I I kept on restricting myself, believing that the Bible was a white man's god and it, it was not for me. And I was a Hindu, and the connotations around colonialism and racism. Uh, I was very hardened against Christianity. Mm. So as much as I was looking for a universal god and wanted to be true in reading all of the scriptures. I didn't get much further than Proverbs and a little bit of the Psalms.
1: Okay. But in 2000, all of that was going to change.
0: Yeah, God does miracles. The proof of that is what happened to me and my wife in the year 2000. Now, there's some fundamental things that are important to remember at this point because I've said a lot. Uh, I was a real delinquent teenager. But through those delinquent years, there were two good things that I really loved and did. One was reading. Uh, The other was jogging. Uh, The reading part continued all through my life. I loved, I consumed books. And in the year 2000, sorry, we need to backtrack. Sorry, I have to just take a few minutes to talk around what actually happened prior to 2000. Otherwise, you don't get the context of it. No problem. In the year 1998, two significant things happened, very significant things. I was here in the midst of my very deep Hindu faith and anti-Christian, so you can know that context well. Um, m- my sister and my mom lived with my sister about 20 kilometers from where we lived, and I love books, I love reading books. We went to visit them one day. Her two-year-old son, my nephew, has got a book in his hand and a pen and he's taking his pen and he's starting to scribble on the book now that set my red flag up because you don't disrespect books even if you're a kid so i went up took the book away from him and looked at it it was the good news bible and as i turned the first page to see where he scribbled to my utter shock and surprise i saw an inscription typed and stuck on the front page of the back of the first cover to me, presented to me, when I was eight years old. And uh, I was completely shocked because I had zero recollection of this. And I remember that day crystal clear even now, I went to my mom and said, where did we get this Bible from? She said when you were seven going eight, your two friends that lived next door to us on the street, we played all the time together. One Sunday I got up, they were not there. And I found out that a young Christian man, he was 18 at that time, a few houses down the road, had started a wayside Sunday school and he'd gone around gathering all the kids and he started to teach them. And I'd asked my mom, can I go play at this Sunday school? She said, yeah, you can go, no problem. And I'd gone and sat in a wayside Sunday school for the rest of that year or two. And I'd heard the gospel and I'd sang Christian songs and I'd read the Christian Bible. In fact, I'd done pretty well. And I was gifted this Bible at the end of the year at the Sunday school presentation. I'd gone home. I obviously tossed it somewhere, couldn't remember. And after the break of the holidays, I never went back Mm. and then, throughout my traumatic childhood with an alcoholic dad and my old alcohol, alcoholic background and all the bad things that had happened, I had some sort of a mental block. I just never remembered that, never. till I saw this Bible 1998 and I said to my sister, I'm taking this, it's mine. I took it, I left it at home in a cupboard that I had in the garage full of books. And I had lots of books and I stuck it in there and didn't see it or touch it for the next two years. In the same time, almost a few uh, weeks after that in 1998, my family were all Hindu and my wife's family were all Hindus. Her younger sister, my wife Judy, her younger sister, had gone with some friends to visit another friend. And they went to a Christian mission station. She just tagged along with friends. And this mission station looked after abused women and children and they offered some help in the community. And someone they knew, a friend of a friend, was there. So she tagged along innocently, a fully Hindu girl from a Hindu family. There she heard the gospel. And that day she got saved there. Wow. And she was so terrified of her Hindu family back home, of coming and telling them that she got saved and was now a born-again Christian she didn't come back home. She stayed on the mission station. Okay. And the family were horrified. They disowned her. The parents, the family, me being one of the protagonists, didn't want to talk to her. We were so angry that she now suddenly had become a Christian. But the mother, my the mom-in-law, heart eventually softened. And six months later, you know, missed the child so much, eventually broke the ice, contacted, visited, Then, as a family, we embraced this and we visited there a few times. And so she became a missionary in a mission station as a brand new Christian. She lived there. And two years later, in 2000, she was getting married to a fine Christian man there. They planned this very elaborate big wedding and they invited all the Hindu family there. We had no idea it was an outreach. And to share the gospel to the Hindu family. So we all went, and she said to me, This was on the 8th of July 2000. The wedding took place on the 8th of July 2000. And she said to me, I want you to share a speech on my behalf at the wedding. Uh, okay, it's a Christian wedding. You asked the Christian <laughs> to. Uh, I said, Okay. And then I ignored it, and uh, the wedding was a week. Re- Afterwards, and my wife was saying to me, "Please, you need to say a nice speech. You need to, you know, come across nice." And she says this to me: "Say something Christian in your speech, so you know you seem polite to them." I said, "What? You say something Christian in your speech to make it polite? Oh, you don't win with wife so you know, I knew it was losing battle." what do I do? How do I say something Christian in this Christian speech? At this speech, I have to say at a Christian wedding. Well, what do I remember? This is now a a day before the 8th of July, the wedding's taking place, 2000. I remember the old Bible stuck in the cupboard for the last two years. So I dig it out and pull it, and I flip through the pages. Luckily, it's got subheadings. It's a good news version. And I turn through almost a whole Bible and I had never touched it or had recalled touching it uh, in all my days. It was a new experience to me. I went almost through most of the Old Testament and then came to Ephesians 5 and saw the editing husbands and wives. Ooh, okay, something. <laughs> I read through that. I took that portion. I incorporated my speech. On the 8th of July, there's a huge number of people stand up and deliver the speech. And it comes across very nice and almost Christian-like. At the end of the speech, the stranger, I didn't know he was an elder in a local assembly, and he was there because he was speaking in Hindi, so he could be an outreach to the Hindi-speaking family. And he was a devout, lovely man of God. And he came up to me. I never seen him ever before. He said, lovely speech, I take it you're a believer. Just looked at him quite... Uh, angrily and said no I'm not and he just smiled and said well don't worry seek and you will find I dismissed it although I, I in hindsight later on that, that had a profound impact on me but I dismissed it but being a typically, well, I don't want to generalize, I was typically lazy but being a lazy man I didn't take the time to take that Bible and put it back in the cupboard, I just left it in the TV room on the shelf and left it there a week later. So this whole wedding took place on the 8th of December and on the 8th of July, sorry. And just before that, we would embarked on a very, very devout uh, Hindu prayer called Surya Puja. It was a prayer to the sun god. And for 21 Sundays, I'd been fasting and getting to the temple at sunrise. It was a culmination of the prayer on the 22nd Sunday, which was on the 16th of July 2000. I was in this very rigid fast, and I was focused, I was all set. There was no thoughts about Christianity, there was no thoughts anywhere about this. Then on the day before this big prayer, on the 15th of July 2000, that's Saturday, the 15th of July 2000, this newlywed couple, they'd been married a week, had gone on honeymoon, had come back, and they come to my in-laws' place as a family gathering. And this young Christian girl, who's just been married, a few years a Christian now, two years actually, she calls my wife, her uh, older sister, my wife Judy, and says, I was praying for you, really praying for you, and this morning the Lord gave me a verse to share with you. They got busy, they got interrupted, she didn't give the verse, the, Bridal newlyweds were driving away. My wife, being the polite person that she says to her younger sister, you were supposed to share a verse with me. Just tell it to me. There's an old Bible at home. She's been seeing it the whole week because Mm -hmm. I left it in the front. The sister gives her a scripture reference. Now, my wife has never been to church in her life, never touched a Bible in her life. Under normal circumstances, should never have remembered the verse because verbally given, Continued to spend some time with the family. We had an eight-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter. We left home about eight o'clock that evening to go uh, prepare for a big prayer at sunrise next morning. I tell my wife, put the two kids off to bed quickly. She goes to the shelf next to the TV and takes the Bible. And then for the next five minutes, she's turning and flipping pages. And I was really... At that point in my life, in that minute, if you ask me what I was thinking, I was just plain irritated. Mm. No thoughts of anything else but irritation. I'm getting ready for my prayer next morning. I pulled the Bible from my hand fairly roughly. What are you looking for? She says, No, my sister gave me a verse to look. I'm just reading. I said, What verse? Hebrews 3, verse 7. Luckily I did this a week before So I turned the pages in chunks I saw Hebrews, I saw Hebrews 3 I opened the Bible 25 past 8, Saturday night 15th of July, year 2000 I read these words Today you have heard my voice And you cannot remain stubborn Any longer mm-hmm. Now Brother Dan At the sound uh, The risk of sounding emotional Or or perhaps too charismatic, uh, I, I believe that God, the Spirit, through His precious Word, did a miracle that day. I just, it, it had to be a particular version that made sense to a Hindu man. It could have been another version. I don't know if it would have made the same sense because for the 13 years prior to this that I've been seeking God, seeking forgiveness, seeking a, a relationship with God, seeking love, acceptance, Wanting to hear God speak to me, in all my searching, in all my wanting the truth, in all that I did, I had become very stubborn against Christianity. I was willing to try everything, anything, read the Koran, but not Christianity. Mm -hmm. And the word stubborn was a profoundly important word because I had called myself stubborn. on many, And I said I would remain stubborn. And this word started to echo louder and louder in my mind, in my heart. And all I was reading these words, but thoughts were flowing in my mind about me being stubborn, about me wanting God, but being stubborn. How God used what had happened 22 years before, when I had heard the gospel as an eight-year-old in a wayside Sunday school. How? I'll have to wait till heaven to know. But at that moment, I started to weep. And tears just flowed and flowed and flowed down my eyes. I couldn't even breathe. I gasped for breath. I had to, uh, my eyes went bloodshot. I had goosebumps in my body. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed forgiveness. I knew that the God of the Bible that I was holding was speaking to me, saying, the answer to your question is, yeah, you can't remain stubborn any longer. The thoughts from 22 years started to flood. I couldn't tell you that if you asked me if I did understand all of it. I don't know, but I knew this heavy, heavy weight of sin. And that I knew I needed forgiveness. And at that moment, I believed that the God of the Bible is saying, Come to me through your Son, Jesus Christ, and I'll give you forgiveness. You can't remain. And I wept for 20 minutes without saying a word. And my wife, Judy, will give testament to the fact that there was a puddle of tears on the floor where I was sitting on that lounge set. And after 20 minutes, I looked up, barely audible, hardly able to speak. The first words I said to her was, today I am becoming a Christian.
1: Wow. Wow. That's incredible. God
0: in His wisdom, in His mercy, in His Spirit, through His Word. I mean, there's no greater thing than holding the Bible, reading the Word, and having His Spirit work in you. I, I was overwhelmed. In that moment of time, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that if I wanted the forgiveness I was seeking, and that relationship with God, it was only through the God of the Bible and through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is as much as my understanding was. But in my heart I knew it was the truth and I accepted it by faith. That moment, my life changed forever. And it's been the greatest, most amazing freedom. I felt a ton of weight fall off my shoulders. I felt overwhelmed with lightness and with a sense of joy that I couldn't explain. It was the most amazing thing I just changed that that moment in time my entire life changed. Um, some things that are, I think we're just good with time, but you know a few things I want to say that that particular day my wife looked at me as if I was completely lun- lunatic. Mm-hmm. She saw a hardened Hindu man who hated Christians, who was involved in a big prayer, take a Bible, sit down start crying, and then 20 minutes later say, now I'm a Christian, it made no sense to her. We, She argued with me the entire night to the morning saying, what's wrong? She basically said, you either lost it, you gone mad, or you're being very cruel, you're playing a cruel joke in me. She said, go to bed, let's get up in the morning, you'll feel better, we'll go to the temple. I slept, I don't know if she slept, she says she didn't sleep well, I slept like a baby that night. Got up. She got me up early in the morning, and the first thing that comes to my mind, what happened the night before, it just floods over me again. Says, "Let's go to the temple." I say, "No," and she. We were married 12 years at that time. She was very upset. She didn't talk to me that Sunday. She was very hurt and upset. Monday, now we always had a Hindu uh, Christian Hindu radio station on in our home. Always played loud. Uh, when my sister-in-law got saved and joined that uh, mission station, they had a local Christian station called Jivanadi Radio. Jivanadi in India means river of life. Really? And they used to broadcast at a 50-kilometer radius. We should just pick it up. We listened to it a few times just to hear her sister's voice over the air. So I knew of it. That Monday, I, I, I led by the spirit of a brand-new Christian. have no concept of... Christian living or Christian life or gospel. I just said, you know what, I, I, I just don't want my wife fighting with me. She needs to see what I see. So I tuned the Hindu radio station to the Christian radio station, put it on loud, went to work, came home that evening, the house was dark, wife and kids locked up the room. First time in 12 years, no food cooked, everything silent. What do I do? I just read the Bible I had, I prayed. Next day, Tuesday, I did the same thing. That entire week went on like that. That Saturday, by then I Googled. I actually didn't even have Christian friends. I Googled. I found eventually a biblical counseling service. Got hold of an ex-missionary from China who was living in the U.S. Started to counsel me. And he says, uh, go to the website to Campus Crusade for Christ. Look at their landing page. There's what's called a prayer, sinner's prayer. Take that to your wife. We're praying for you. Try and explain to her. Ask her to pray. So this Saturday I go. It's a week later. A week after I got saved. My wife hasn't been talking to me. She's upset. I don't know what's happening. I go to her and I sit her down and say, No, we have to talk. There's something that's so important to me. I want you to understand it. Please read this prayer and tell me if you want to pray it. She reads it and she starts to laugh at me. and She says, "Uh, I prayed this prayer on Tuesday. I said, Excuse me? <laughs> he says, well, yeah. Monday you put the radio on and went away. Tuesday you put the radio on. It's blaring in the background. I'm sitting in my bed in the next room. We had a small house. My two-year-old daughter is sleeping. And I'm weeping. I'm curled up in the bed weeping. Why God? Why are you destroying my marriage? We so happily married. What is wrong with Marlon? Who is this Jesus? He's a white man's God. Why is he coming and breaking my marriage? How can I believe in a God I don't even know if he's real? He says, you know, now such starts to talk to this Jesus. How can I believe in you? How do I know you're real? Maybe if you reveal yourself to me, I'll know you're real. Show me a sign. Now, unknown to us, a recording of Chuck Swindoll's message. Uh, you may know of him, a famous preacher from US. He preached the day before. It was a recording. At that instant, she says, reveal yourself to me. So I know you're real, I can believe you. She says, reveal. He screams out on this radio station. At that exact instant, who are you for God to reveal yourself to you? And she caught the last part. She said, She got out of bed and he says again, who are you for God to reveal yourself to you? You are man on earth and he is God in heaven. You must believe by faith. She stood there for the next 20 minutes and heard the gospel. And she, always fearful of reincarnation as a Hindu, she crossed the T's and dotted her eyes meticulously fearful to have displeased God. For the first time in her life, Tuesday, three days after I got saved, she heard the gospel and she went on her knees before a radio and prayed and gave her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's phenomenal. And she kept that away from me till Saturday and I brought this document and she says, laugh at me, I already prayed this. We both got on our knees together that Saturday and prayed to the Lord Jesus and together asked for forgiveness and asked him to come into our lives. And from that day, as a couple, we've lived completely and entirely for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I could witness to people around me, I drove the same car, wore the same clothes, ate the same food, lived in the same house, everything was the same, but absolutely everything had changed. The joy, the peace, the forgiveness, the, 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 what I felt was so phenomenal, it was amazing. And interestingly enough, um, I then contacted my sister-in-law and her husband, because they were the Christians I knew. And said to them, they came and visited us, prayed with us, and I said to them, there was one man I remember, this was a few days after we got saved now, I think about a week later, I said, there's one man I remember, uh, the MC at the wedding, and he came to me and said, seek and you will find, I'd love to share this news with you. So they gave me a number, which I called and got his number, and I called him a week after, uh, just a few days after we got saved, and I said, I uh, listen, I don't know if you remember me, but I shared the speech at the wedding a few days ago. He says, oh, yes, I remember you. We've been praying for you. And he said, um, I said to him what had happened. I got saved. And he, and he then invited me to church. And I said, no, I've got an uncle When you was a Christian. Um, let me go there first. I didn't know about denominations. We didn't know about any of these things. But anyway, we were supposed to go to a very charismatic pentecostal meeting the first week that we were christians which my uncle belonged to and he called me in that thursday and said no i'm going for a meeting i won't be there rather you not come watch something on tv i said i don't want to watch something on tv and i remember this man i called who invited me to church so the first time the two of us saved the first time in our lives a week later we went to church was at a new testament christian Brethren Assembly at the invite of that elder. Uh, we were amazed at the meeting. The next one we went to my uncle's church. it was I, I won't say more about denominations, but for the next in the after the first one, three weeks we went to three different churches and then my wife and I were completely confused.
1: Hmm. And we
0: were heartbroken because we thought Christianity was Christianity, and now we see And we both sit and we had tears in our eyes and said, (laughs) we just had a nasty experience with 50 or 60 people screaming and praying at the same moment on top of our heads. And I was so overwhelmed by it. I said, this doesn't look like Christianity. This looks like Hinduism. And we had tears in our eyes, sitting alone in our home saying, now what? And both of us had the same thought at the same instant. The first week we went to church. We felt the peace. We felt the joy. We'd observed this thing called breaking of bread. We had no clue what it was. We saw men standing up and I was looking at who was directing them and there was no one. And I went and googled and found out about what breaking of bread meant. We, I heard the word preached today, 22 years later. I remember that first sermon was preached that I heard in my life when Moses had struck the rock And now we disobeyed God's word and that elderly gentleman that preached that message said there's three ways a Christian should live his life. Number one, through the word of God. Number two, through the word of God. Number three, through the word of God. I remember the sermon 22 years later. That's the impact. We decided on our own by the fourth week. We're going back there and we never missed a meeting for the next seven years till we relocated to a new province. Yeah, Dan, so much has happened. Um, We 22 years Christians, uh, we moved, we were very involved, got active in the assembly almost immediately. I preached the first sermon a year later in a conservative assembly that didn't give the pulpit to anyone easily. I preached my first gospel message. We became Sunday school teachers, uh, got involved with youth work. We were sold out to ministry in the local assembly, reading our Bible, full of zeal for the Lord. It was a major move to relocate to a new province 600 kilometers away. Things were more tighter. We got involved with Emmaus Bible School or Emmaus Correspondence School, sending causes to prisoners and non-prisoners. I was still had a secular job then, and this work became more and more. I represented Emmaus in a conference in Zambia. In 2009, we were in rural Zambia in the bush, and I was sitting there listening to a preacher, a full-time missionary, share his his call of the Lord. And that day, the Lord spoke to me and said, you must set yourself apart for His work. But I struggled with that for six years. Uh, I did all the sums, and every time I did the sums, it ended up in the red. I said, no, can't do this, two children, university, school, car, bond, this can't happen, Lord. For six years I struggled with it, but in 2015 I designed for my full-time job of 26 years in a senior post. Stepped out in complete faith, complete faith to serve the Lord with no promise of salary. Today... I've preached to hundreds and hundreds of prisoners. The Lord has blessed us to travel 14 or 15 different countries. We've lived and given our hearts and souls to the Lord. He has remained faithful in every way. God has used us to reach so many people in Southern Africa with so many diverse ministries and ways. And besides giving all the glory and honor to God, I often say, An 18-year-old Sunday school teacher could pick up children from the wayside, share the gospel, give them a Bible. A young girl who had been saved two years, praying and giving a very hard Hindu sister a verse. A preacher who was famous who recorded a gospel message in USA. A radio operator of a small local radio station that pushed that play button. How amazingly God used these simple acts of faith, unknown and unrecognized, but faithfully done, that God used all of this to draw me into the kingdom of God and my wife. And for the last 22 years, we've lived and loved nothing else but the Lord. And to whoever the listeners are, and and perhaps it's a more broader audience of Christians than non-Christians, I want to challenge you, Brothers and sisters, there are many Christians in your own country, in the the West, in my country, my Hindu family, thousands of people we know that are dying and going to a lost eternity. We cannot sit by idly any longer. Whether it's sharing a verse, giving a tract, whether it's praying, but let us rise up, let us show our Christian love to them by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. No one's too hard. No one's too far, because it does not belong to us. The results belong to the Lord. Let us be faithful in this ministry to children. Though Everything you do as a Sunday school teacher, every minute you invest in the life of the child, they may wander very far away. They may become alcoholics, drug users, delinquents. 22 years you could watch them and they could become Hindus and demon worshippers, but never fail because God is an able God and His arm is not too short. May we be encouraged by the grace of God to be faithful, to share His good news, that people don't just say that you're a Christian because you call yourself a Christian, but in the way you live, the way you walk, the way you talk, the choices you make, may your light shine so brightly that others will see and ask for the reason for the hope that you have. That you may share the good news. Don't take it and hide it under the bed, brothers and sisters. There are young people like me who lost. But thank God I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I live. Praise His name. May you be encouraged, each one of you. And thank you, Brother Dan. This, This is a beautiful ministry i so sure someone's going to hear it. May they be encouraged. May they be blessed. Um, if they've got questions, they can contact you. But thank you for your labor in the Lord's kingdom through this ministry. Thank you for the opportunity.
1: It's my privilege, honestly. It's phenomenal. I've, I've read some of your testimony, but I don't think uh, I could have put it more eloquently if I tried. Just a, a couple of questions before you go. Um, Marlon, Sure. being uh, a Hindu who's converted to Christianity, does that make it easier to reach Hindus with the gospel? Uh, no, definitely not.
0: I, my wife and I suffered a lot of persecution from our own family earlier on. Uh, what worked in my favor, but this is not the case in most converted Christians, the family that got upset with us for becoming Christians could not actually point a finger or tackle me or take me on because to say I didn't know what I was doing because I knew more about Hinduism than them. Yeah. So so they kind of left us and the persecution we experienced was exclusion. We suddenly went in the circles of our own family. But we sought never to judge. My wife and I have never judged them. We've told them many times, we don't judge you. We don't say you anything. We've, we we believe We've shared the gospel, what we believe, and we've shown them a lot of love. And we were able to win their hearts back, not because we judged them, but because we loved them. My wife's dad became a Christian before he died. Great. My uh, wife's brother became a Christian. My own mum and sister, we shared our testimony. They became Christians. Uh, so in our own family, we managed to, by the grace of God, not by judging, Mm. But by walking the talk, showing our Christianity in love, sharing the truth, we, we isolated ourselves from those Hindu prayers, like if they were doing a major prayer on this day, we wouldn't go. Mm. But the day before we went and had a meal with them. So I think in the end of the day, love is one. Um, it didn't make it easier, though. We have we had to pay a price for our faith, but we were able to, Pay the price because the Lord loves us, and uh, we don't want them to judge us that we are superior to them. We've lived our lives so as to show to them we just sinners saved by grace, and that that's all. That's all there is to it. So, uh, yeah, it's slightly different circumstances from the run of the mill experience of Hindus being saved, uh, but God had these unique plans for us. We praise His name.
1: Yeah. And the last question to you, I know you've mentioned a verse in Hebrews, but are there any other Bible verses that, that particularly stand out in your life?
0: Yes, uh, there's. we shouldn't really have a favorite verse, but <laughs> this verse from, from the beginning of my journey, Christian journey to this day, just speaks to me volumes. Um. Obviously, the journey, even from the day being saved to now, has not been easy. Mm-hmm. I've faced uh, tremendous challenges. Um, sometimes, especially in ministry, uh, it, it becomes lonely. As an elder in assembly, as a missionary, is uh, you know, working with so many ministries, I sit with prisoners and hear the most horrific, horrific stories and you've got to absorb all of this emotionally, spiritually. You counsel people uh, through Emmaus' causes. Hundreds of people confess. And then sometimes it becomes overwhelming. But the one verse that has been forever my light that just I run through every time is Philippians verses, chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything to prayer and petition and with thanksgiving make your request known. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's one of my all-time verses that I run to. And every time I just quote it to myself, I immediately feel a sense of peace. And it just helps me through uh, whatever difficult circumstances I find myself in.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for, for spending this time sharing your testimony. Lovely to finally meet you. Marlon.
0: Likewise, likewise, brother. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless your ministry. God bless everyone who's going to hear this. May the Spirit give you the unction to ask the questions, get to know him. James 4 verse 8 is a parting shot. Draw close to me and I will draw close to you. Where I interpret that verse to all our listeners, we take one baby step towards God. He takes a giant leap towards us. Wherever you are in your life, if you're listening now, God is waiting. It is through our Lord Jesus Christ with his hands wide open. Just run to him. Even if it's a baby step, he'll be right by you before you know it.
1: Thank okay. you. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Testimony Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please consider leaving a review and sharing it on social media with friends. Thank you.